Good morning. This is Northern Light for Tuesday, February 13th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. A school district in the Champlain Valley will vote this week on a proposed $66 million new school. If you look at the plans for the new building, there's really nothing extravagant. You know, we're just talking about classrooms, uh, spaces for um, auditorium, gymnasium, centralized office spaces. For Valentine's Day, we're headed back in time to share a classic Adirondack love story about how Heart Lake and Mount Joe got their names, and it all started on a romantic hike. And by the time they got to the summit, they'd fallen in love. So they look out across the Adirondack landscape and spy a glittering pond in the distance, and they agree that that's where they want to make their home together here in the Adirondacks. Also on the show, astronomer Eileen O'Donoghue stops by to guide us through the morning and evening skies. All of that's coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Long Run Wealth, an SEC-registered investment advisor in Lake Placid, providing comprehensive wealth management, retirement, and financial planning solutions, longrunwealth.com, and by Fisher, Bissett, Muldowney, and McArdle, attorneys and counselors at law with offices in Malone, Tupper Lake, and Saranac Lake, 800-941-5001. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. The fate of a school district in Essex County is in the hands of local voters this week. On the ballot is whether to move students out of Westport and Elizabethtown and into a brand new school five miles up the road in Lewis. All three towns merged into one district years ago due to declining enrollment. Thursday's vote for a new school in Lewis could put taxpayers on the hook for more than $60 million. Emily Russell has the details. The public school in Westport has a kind of classic look to it. It's brick, built about 90 years ago. It's right in the center of town. But teachers here say the school is outdated, even dangerous. Um, so this is one of the classrooms that has the lead in the water. That's Amy Welch. She teaches first grade here in Westport. We all have um, signs that say hand washing only, not intended for drinking use. Welch is giving a tour to some local journalists, school officials, and state politicians. We walk through classrooms, down to the library, over to the gym. Once we're up in the second floor hallway, she points to the big water stains on the ceiling. That's where water dripped down the last time it rained. This whole floor was covered. Um, Ceiling tiles were falling down. This room, you can see if you walk in this little tiny room, look up, you can see where more water was coming through. Um, This school needs millions of dollars in work. But expensive capital improvement projects have been put on hold. That's because this school in Westport and the one in neighboring Elizabethtown have been in the process of merging. Decades ago, there were about 730 students in the area. Now there's about half that. So merging made financial sense. 
The next step was to consolidate the two schools under one roof. That hasn't happened yet. Josh Meyer is the superintendent of the merged district, which is now known as Boquette Valley. Even if we fix all the floors, we fix all the windows, fix all the doors, you know, all these things, that's such a massive amount of money. And you still have, you know, going on 90-year-old plumbing, 90-year-old electrical, you know, all this other stuff that it just doesn't make sense to drop that kind of money. The school in Elizabethtown isn't as old as this one in Westport, but it could still cost up to $54 million in upgrades to accommodate every student in the district. Alternatively, building a brand new school in nearby Lewis would cost $66 million. That's the option many school officials like Meyer are hoping for. If you look at the plans for the new building, there's really nothing extravagant. You know, we're just talking about classrooms, uh, spaces for um, an auditorium, gymnasium, centralized office spaces. It's actually a smaller footprint than the two schools combined. In the new school in Lewis, there would be about 50 classrooms, two gyms, and a computer lab. It would also have a bus garage and all the district's sports fields, which neither Westport nor Elizabethtown campuses have. Plus, Meyer says, these days, the state requires schools to have more specialized programs and staff, which all need their own space. We have far more special education classrooms than we used to. We have far more counselors and uh, psychologists and mental health services than we used to. We have a tremendous number of students who get one-on-one testing accommodations, and all these things require space. But building all that here in the Adirondacks, that requires a lot of money. If the new school in Lewis is approved, local taxpayers will be on the hook for more than $60 million over the next three decades. Some locals, like Carolyn Vanderhoof from Westport, say they're worried about shouldering that financial burden. As a senior, I cannot afford a serious tax increase, which probably both solutions will create a tax increase. But I think a $64 million debt in this day and age that could bloom and blossom and who knows what happens. Vanderhoof voted against the school merger back in 2018. She says she'll also vote against building a new school in Lewis. Vanderhoof owns an art studio in downtown Westport. She worries about the impact of closing both the Westport and the Elizabethtown schools. They are good, small community schools. When you're taking kids on buses outside their community, it changes the ballgame. Both of the current schools are in the center of their towns. The new school in Lewis would be on a 100-acre wooded lot. It's about four miles north of Elizabethtown and nine miles northwest of Westport, no longer within walking distance really for any kid. Erin Birdo runs the teen center in Elizabethtown. She's also on the committee that helped plan the new school in Lewis. Birdo says taking kids out of their communities is a legitimate concern, but she says it's not one that should be on the shoulders of their education. In a perfect world... The optimal setting for our schools would have been to remain in each hamlet, but for a whole list of reasons. In New York State, our small rural communities have declined. Our populations have declined. Our economies are struggling. This is an issue that's not unique to this school district. Many others around the Adirondack North Country are also seeing a steady decline in enrollment. Some schools are merging. Some are even closing. The superintendent of Boquette Valley says data suggests enrollment here should hold steady for the next five to 10 years, 
but that's not a sure thing. Some parents and teachers here think a new school in Lewis could be part of the solution, a way to attract and retain kids in the area. Both schools, they have lasted quite a long time and they have served their purpose. That's Jennifer O'Neill. She's a parent of two students and also a STEM teacher in Westport. But unfortunately, they're, they're getting to the point where we need to update to stay competitive and we want to be the, the best rural school in the North Country and this would definitely help us. In 2018, the decision to merge schools came down to a margin of less than 300 votes. So the proposal to build a $66 million new school could be just as close. Emily Russell, North Country Public Radio, Westport. The vote on the proposed new school in Lewis is this Thursday. Local voters in Lewis, Elizabethtown, and Westport can cast their ballots at the school in Westport from noon until 8 o'clock that day. You're listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. It's coming up on 10 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up, Jupiter is bright. There's a big waxing crescent moon. And we're losing even more precious dark. We'll check in with astronomer Eileen O'Donohue about what to look for in the night skies this month in just a few minutes right here on Northern Light. Music by the group December Wind out of Aquasasne. Northern Light is supported by Adirondack Foundation and the Adirondack Birth to Three Alliance, dedicated to providing all children the best possible start in life, adirondackbt3.org, and by Guidebolt Realty, located in Saranac Lake, where health, history, and the arts meet in the Adirondacks. Your guide to Adirondack real estate, guideboatrealty.com. Forced labor is among the most common forms of human trafficking, and it happens every day across upstate New York. Many victims don't report it, fearing they'll be punished, especially if they're undocumented. WAER's Natasha Senyanovich reports for the New York Public News Network that coming forward may actually be the best way to legalize their status. People think labor trafficking exists in the shadows, says State Labor Commissioner Roberta Reardon. But it's a broad daylight crime that intentionally targets the most vulnerable, she says. Immigrants who are new to this country, low-wage workers, single mothers, people who in, in many ways are separated from society are often the ones who get caught up in this. And often the victims themselves don't realize that it's not lawful. For instance, immigrants forced to work in exchange for paying off a debt for being brought to the country. Others may have their documents withheld by traffickers. 
who might also threaten their family members back home. Most people associate trafficking with adult construction or farming laborers. But there are also many underage victims in the region, says immigration attorney Sarah McDowell, being coerced or tricked into working in a range of industries. We have had some cases involving teenagers who've been brought here to work in food service situations or in like convenience store type of places. We have also actually seen um, labor trafficking situations in the context of sports and athletics. McDowell runs immigration programs for the Volunteer Lawyers Project of Central New York. Like Commissioner Reardon, she urges anyone who's being trafficked or knows of trafficking to contact the state labor department. And if victims are undocumented, they could be eligible for a visa especially designed to protect them, says McDowell. And they will not be prosecuted or deported. In Syracuse, I'm Natasha Sinyanovic for the New York Public News Network. Today is the last day to change your party affiliation online ahead of the primaries. You also have until tomorrow to do so in person at your local DMV. The presidential primaries in New York are on April 2nd. All other primaries will be on June 25th. There are three candidates currently running to represent the North Country in Congress, including Elise Stefanik, who is seeking re-election to her sixth term in office. She's been challenged by Republican Jill Lochner in the primary. Democrat Steve Holden has filed paperwork to challenge Stefanik. And this week, Democrat Paula Collins also announced plans to run for Congress, though Collins hasn't filed the official paperwork to appear on the ballot. A proposal that would have allowed people to reserve more than two weeks at a state campground in the Adirondacks has been rejected. The DEC was considering extending the two-week reservation limit at the Rollins Pond Campground north of Tupper Lake. According to the Adirondack Explorer, people have been getting around that limit by reserving additional weeks with different email addresses. Some are also not showing up for the reservations, potentially because the state charges a cancellation fee. The Adirondack Park Agency collected public comments about the reservation limit at Rollins Pond. About 700 people either responded to a survey or submitted public comments, most of which were against extending the two-week limit. For many visitors and hikers to the Adirondacks, the Adirondack Lodge on Hart Lake has been an entry point to the high peaks for over a century. Have you ever wondered why it's called Heart Lake? Well, it turns out there's a love story there. For the last week, we've been sharing love stories leading up to Valentine's Day. And today, we're headed back in time to share a classic Adirondack tale. And Amy Feireisel has our story. In 1877, Henry Van Hovenberg came to the Adirondacks for the first time. He grew up in Troy and was something of a self-taught electrical genius. He was a telegraph operator and held over 100 patents for various electrical technologies. That's Maggie Newell, the Adirondack Mountain Club's outreach manager. She tells a lot of stories, including this one, about the history of the Adirondack Lodge. Henry is our protagonist uh, in Troy, New York, where he starts coming down with a case of hay fever. With all the industrialization in cities at the time, there's a lot of pollution and folks would come to the Adirondacks for that clean mountain air. Henry was 28 years old and spent the summer of 1877 exploring the high peaks. One fateful day, he hiked Mount Marcy with a group of other young people, including a woman named Josephine Schofield. 
Josephine uh, was from Brooklyn, seemed to be from a little bit of a wealthier background and came to the Adirondacks uh, because she had tuberculosis. On that hike, or so the legend goes, Henry and Josephine only had eyes for each other. And by the time they got to the summit, they'd fallen in love. So they look out across the Adirondack landscape and spy a glittering pond in the distance. And they agree that that's where they want to make their home together here in the Adirondacks. Short courtship. But it never happened. The lovers parted ways, and Josephine returned home to Brooklyn. The rest of the story gets fuzzy. Newell says that in some retellings, Josephine was engaged to another man. In others, her wealthy father forbids her to return to Henry, and she throws herself off Niagara Falls. Others dispute that story and say that she just went home to her family. Maybe she wasn't as enthralled with Henry as Henry was with her. Either way, it is believed that she did not survive too much longer than that time and died within the year. More probably, she succumbed to her illness and passed away from tuberculosis. What we do know is that the heartbroken Henry Van Hovenberg bought the square mile of land surrounding what was then called Clear Lake, renamed it Heart Lake, and started building. He channels all that heartbreak into constructing the original Adirondack Lodge. It was one of the early Adirondack hotels, and it was built with 1,600 spruce trees. Henry Van Hovenberg also developed a huge network of about 50 miles of trails around the lodge, making the region a lot more accessible to the everyday visitor. And it was in this era we kind of started to see the transition from you really needed a guide to go out, there might have been crude hatchet marks in trees that people were following to find their way. Uh, And then Henry started to build trails wider, identifying scenic spots for trails to go past, which really made it easier for folks to get out into the, onto the trail, into the woods without a guide. Henry Van Hovenberg devoted his life to those trails and the lodge, and he never married. But he did rename a nearby mountain after his lost love. The bear became Mount Joe. Henry spent the rest of his life in the Adirondacks, and years after his death in 1932, when the Winter Olympics came to Lake Placid, Henry also got a mountain named after him. They renamed what used to be called South Mountain, Mount Van Hovenberg, after Henry Van Hovenberg, uh, which is right next to Mount Joe and has a beautiful view uh, of Mount Joe and the surrounding landscape. So Henry and Josephine did end up forever together in the Adirondack landscape. Maggie Newell often tells this story on Wednesday nights at the Adirondack Lodge, which is the night Henry would tell stories to visitors over 100 years ago. And she says there's another happy ending to Henry and Josephine's tragic love story. Every day, Heart Lake and Mount Joe inspire many people's loves for the high peaks and the Adirondack Mountains. Amy Fireisel, North Country Public Radio. You're listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandraski. In just a minute, we'll check in with astronomer Eileen O'Donohue, who will tell us about losing that precious dark. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note. Coming up at 842, but first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. 
The Weather Service says uh, partly to mostly cloudy skies. We've got some peaks at the sun this morning, but the Weather Service says increasing clouds. Maybe a light snow shower again today. Northeast winds 10 to 15 miles per hour, highs mid-30s. Chances of snow showers overnight tonight, lows in the teens. And then pretty much uh, partly to mostly cloudy the rest of the week with highs near 30 tomorrow and highs in the low 30s on Thursday and Friday. It's 25 degrees in Canton right now. Every month, astronomer Eileen O'Donohue joins us in studio from St. Lawrence University to remind us what to look for in the morning and evening skies. And here you are now. Here I am because it always changes. It does. How are you doing this morning, Eileen? I'm doing great. Good, good. Same here, same here. But yes, I guess we should probably start with the light. Oh my God, it's getting so bright. I mean, it's changing after February 23rd. You people who like light will be gaining three minutes of light per day. I'll be losing three minutes of dark. So, uh, I mean, this is why the Celts thought this was spring, the early spring, because the light changes so quickly, and it changes even more quickly farther north. So, yes, that's the big news is that we got have over ten and a half or over ten hours of of daylight today, and of course we're coming up on March twenty first when we'll mm-hmm. have more than uh, uh, more than. 12 hours. And, oh, and speaking of March, this is when we're going to spring ahead. That's coming March 10th. And we'll shift (laughs) shift the light to the the evening. um, Because morning people will be back in the dark. It's terrible. It's been so great. (laughs) You know, it seems we humans, the best compromise is to keep sunrise close to the same time. That's what we're really adjusting, oh, not see. the evening. If we didn't adjust our clocks, the sun would rise in June at about 4.15 and everybody would be annoyed. Yeah. And, 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 our circadian rhythms, is that it or something? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, no, it's our, it, we would be fine if we didn't have clocks. We'd just get up, <laughs> right? But no, it's the time we go to work. <laughs> it's those clocks. Yeah, <laughs> it's those damn clocks. And, and uh, then if we stayed on daylight saving time, which I think the Senate voted to do a couple of years ago, then in the winter the sun wouldn't rise until uh, like 8.30. Oh. So, yeah, this is really the best compromise. And somebody's unhappy every way we do it. Yeah. If we stay on daylight saving, if we stay on standard, or if we switch the clocks, everybody has the opportunity to be annoyed. <laughs> mm. Well, so. I... I the I think I sent I think I mentioned this to listeners one morning a week or so ago. I was driving into work and it was actually clear in the morning and I saw this amazing crescent moon. Oh, it the was waning beautiful. crescent was magnificent. Yeah. Yes. Big and orange. I know and just, it was yeah, just so yeah. pretty. Yeah. Yes, they were in the eastern sky rising yeah. just before the sun. Yeah. And now it's it's setting just after the sun because we're into the waxing crescent. And so, and in the spring, the waxing crescent just jumps up off the horizon. And so we have a good opportunity to see the thin crescent Mm. and to see the earth shine. And so the next, uh, it's going to be the new moon on March 10th, the day we change the clocks. And so after March 10th, the evenings will be longer, you'll... But you should see that waxing crescent moon and that lovely earth shine before it does get dark. Give the elevator uh, speech of earth shine. Um, That earth shine is the light that has come from the sun, hit the earth, reflected onto the moon, and then the moon reflects it back at us. Uh So it's been zipping around. It's traveled a long way. 
Earthshine. Yeah, yeah, and and so in the let's see in the in the evening we're seeing uh, the sunlight that has hit the Atlantic Ocean and then reflected onto the moon and reflected back at us. Is that wow. right? Oh. For No, that's the morning. In morning. the evening, we're seeing it off the western U.S. Uh-huh. And Galileo noticed this, and he figured out that Asia was a large continent, and west of him was a darker ocean. Wow. Smart guy. Yeah, he, yeah. Was, he was, yeah. <laughs> well, with that waxing crescent, what else can we expect to find in the evening skies? Well, uh, uh, Jupiter is still there, very, still very high and bright. Beautiful and bright, yeah. Uranus is, is there, and actually the waxing crescent is going to go past Jupiter uh, tomorrow on Wednesday. It'll be three degrees away from Jupiter, so they'll both be in the same field of view if you have your binoculars. Uh, or no, it'll be close to Jupiter on Wednesday, three degrees northwest of Uranus, sorry, on Thursday. It won't mm. be that close to Jupiter. So on Thursday, if you see the, the uh, moon... Uh, pick it up and look below it and left, and you might see Uranus. Uranus is actually, you can actually see it um, without binoculars. No. And really? I have i have seen it. It's actually a, a naked eye planet. But it's really hard to find because it is really dim. Is it one of those it sort is, of peripheral things? It's, or no, not? it's you, no. You can see it no. when you look right at it. But it is close to the the edge of our ability to see. Yeah. And and so the moon being that close probably is too bright for you to see yeah. it without binoculars, but okay. you might be able to. That is incredible. Yes. So, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I think you've told us in the past that it, it's helpful if you, like, have something else to orient you to yes. where yes, it is. Yes, you need something yeah. to point at. So that's why the moon will work tonight. Yeah. Coming up in March, Jupiter will get close enough to it to be within the same field of view. Mm. So then that will be a nice opportunity to see it. I, When I saw it naked eye, it was in Pisces, and I was able to use a star of Pisces. And you find it in binoculars and then pull them down and look. <laughs> it's, it's a challenge. It's there. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So. so, okay, April. We've got a big event happening. Oh, my God. Yes, yeah. yes. we got to talk about it. Yeah. <clears throat> we, we're having a total eclipse of the sun. The shadow of the moon is going to rip over the north country at 2,500 miles an hour, and we're going to be able to see real dark <laughs> for, like, three minutes. It's going to be awesome. Have you ever experienced a totality? I have. I've uh-huh. been in the te- path What's of totality. Like? What's it like? It got dark. It got, okay. <laughs> it was, I was in Kansas in 2017, just thrilled to be in the path of totality, and it was cloudy. Oh. oh. I had clouds at totality, but it still got dark. It was exciting, and the shadow of the moon is 100, 120 miles wide. Wow. And so when you're in it, you know, 50 miles away in every direction, it's daytime. Because even when 99% of the sun is covered, it's daytime. Mm-hmm. It takes that last percent wow. before. The light is weird at yeah, 90. Yeah, yeah. But but it takes that last that last bit to be covered before it's like totality and it is so different and so 360 degrees around you you see sunset right? oh, it's wow. like the reds and and you can see the shadow approaching out of the west kind of like when you watch the shadow of a cloud approaching mm-hmm. but this is dark this is not just dim yeah. 
this is dark, and uh. it sweeps up. If it were, if it moved through the atmosphere instead of over it, it would be at Mach three point five. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sonic booms would be amazing. But, yeah. but, but it 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 sweeps towards you. It's cooler. It's mm. dark. The wind kicks up. The the animals all react. I was gonna ask. Right? It was if August. Remember, yeah. The bugs started doing their nighttime really? thing, and the birds roosted. Dogs will bark. The roosters will crow. All of the animals are like, "This is weird." Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's nighttime, and then three minutes later, it's daytime again, and everybody goes, "Oh, okay." <laughs> okay. And so, yeah, here in the North Country, I mean, all of the hotels, B and Bs, everything is packed. Mm-hmm. All the rooms are sold out. <laughs> As you said, some of them are charging a thousand bucks a night. So, um, so all these visitors are going to be in St. Lawrence County. And one of the things that they talked about in the Midwest after 2017 is that, particularly after totality, so everybody's excited about the the partial eclipse leading up to totality, and then you get through totality, everybody's just. Odd. I mean, people weep. People scream. Yeah. Some people, it, it's a visceral reaction. You know, yeah, the lizard yeah. in the back of our brain is 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 having a deep crisis that the yeah, sun yeah. went out. And so, but then after totality, the sun starts coming up. It's still an eclipse. But everybody's like, oh, okay. Oh, we've seen that. Let's go home. So, mm-hmm. so particularly if it's a clear day, it could be utter madness on the roads. I suggest to everybody that you fill your tank the previous week and you, you know, stock yeah. the groceries. And because in the Midwest, towns like ours got swamped by people. Mm. And the gas stations ran out of gas. They ran out of food and restaurants. It was insane after the eclipse because everybody tries to go home at once. And so, you know, I mean, don't don't put the kids on the school buses ten minutes after the eclipse. They're going to be in traffic. Yeah. Uh, and so, and all of us don't plan. Oh, I'll go down to the Adirondacks and come back that afternoon. It could be a very long afternoon. A friend of mine was in Wyoming for the eclipse. Yeah. Not a high density population there, and the entire state was a parking lot after the eclipse. <laughs> yeah. There was right. just no movement on either road through Wyoming. Well, we are going to continue our conversation about the eclipse, the totality next month when you It's all by. very exciting yeah. stuff. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Eileen, as always, thank you so much for coming by. Always a pleasure. It's always fun. We're going back to more of Morning Edition coming up in just a moment. Thank you so much for listening to Northern Light. Eileen O'Donoghue teaches physics and astronomy at St. Lawrence University, and she joins us every month to talk about the night and morning skies. We'll have more coming up next month. That is it for the show for the day. Morning Edition, like Todd said, continues in just a minute. And in just a couple of seconds, we'll be rejoining news headlines from NPR. Then join us later this morning for an important conversation on uh, Fresh Air at lunchtime today with Mark Ruffalo, the actor and scoundrel in the new movie Poor Things. That conversation between noon and one right here on NCPR. I'm Monica Sandreski. I'm Todd Mo. Thanks for joining us. Be well.